What's up? Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This week, we sit down with Adam Goes Ham. I am particularly stoked on this one because I have watched him from afar for a couple of years now, and I respect what he does so much. He has been such a big piece of underground culture and doing shows and parties in so many genres of music, and at the core of it, he's just a passionate dude that cares about everything that I think matters in music. On top of that, at the tail end of this episode, we get into so much self-help, self-care, personal improvement discussion. He's been through so much. His story is so wild. We'll get into it. But after that, the perspective that he has gained and kind of where he prioritizes the things in his life, I think he sets a really cool example. It's everything I like to tell in a podcast story. So I really think you're going to enjoy this one. If you do, I always ask this every week and I ask it for a reason. It's, it's really important to me and it's really helpful. But if you like it, please share it with a friend in any way possible. Social media is amazing. You can tag us on an Instagram story, Twitter, whatever. I'm at Andrew underscore FTW. He's at Adam Goes Ham or at Ham on Everything. Really, the sharing it in any way and telling people has been this massive source of growth for the podcast. I haven't done any ads. I don't ask for any money, any Patreon, anything like that. Uh, it's really a, a passion project for me right now, and I just want to grow this. So by you sharing it, it helps that so much. I don't want to ramble, but if you do get something out of this, it would mean a lot if you hit a share anywhere. With that said, let's get into an incredible episode. I really think you're going to enjoy this one. Here we are. Here we are. Where are all my friends sitting down with Adam Weiss or Adam Goes Ham? I'm stoked on this one because I kind of know your story from afar. Right, right. I've seen a lot of what you've done. I've seen some really cool things where from afar I'm like, yo, this guy knows. And then only more recently did we meet. Uh, actually, I think we met outside of a comedy night, which yeah. we were just talking yeah, about. Yeah. We're both big into stand-up totally. comedy. Um, and, and I was really excited to do this one because I think that there's so much more to your story than I even could imagine. So I'm excited to get into that. I'm excited too. What I like to do before we like really get into it, into it, is for anybody who's listening that doesn't know what you do, like just a very brief explanation of some of the things you've done, your accomplishments and what you're up to. Um, just So what I'm doing, uh, so I guess I'm known for throwing a party yep. called Ham on Everything. Should I talk about how it started or should I just talk or we'll get into that? Uh, kind of like I'm saying like just like two minutes of just like I do this, this and that. All right. So yeah, quick. so I'm known for throwing a party called Ham on Everything. Um, I've been doing the party since 2011. And changed a bunch of different things. It's always been about underground culture, though, and underground music. And through that in the last, like, five years, I get other random gigs that, like, uh, people that go to Ham know for, I think, 2016, I got hired by MTV. They were doing, like, a their first live music show, like, in a decade. Oh, shit. And um, they needed, like, 600 kids there every week. And so I got hired, like, bring 600 kids there. Um but I always do so much extra because, like, I didn't. Some of the weeks the guests were awesome. Matt Miller did it, and like all this oh stuff. God. But some of the weeks it wasn't great. But I still, but I didn't, and I knew that kids would come anyways because it was a free thing, and, and you'd be on MTV. Yeah. Um. But I still wanted it to be worth it to them, so I made MTV be like, well, I need a DJ like the pre-party before you guys film, and then I had little Tracy, Fat Nick, and I'd invite other people to come perform, not on MTV, but for the pre-show. Yeah. So that in case the artist they had sucked, at least. You had Ham something. Kids, 
and that's like just me doing a lot of extra work. I just care, you know, like I really do care about the culture. Yeah, well, and like, so I've done all this random stuff, and then I did the ham radio podcast. Uh, you know, I've done so much shit. Right. Well, and again, it's kind of unfair to set you up to be like right, explain everything right. you've done in two but minutes. It's all but... centers from throwing an event series called cool. Ham on Everything. And I think like the the other thing to touch on with that is it's not really ever been a specific genre. It's kind of just been people that are very relevant in culture and doing something that matters. And you've booked a lot of artists really fucking early. Right. So what that actually comes from is that, so I started Ham on Everything in 2011, but 2010 I was doing another show series called Hipsters Who Heart Hip Hop. Really? Yeah. And that's actually because I used to, I had a MySpace group that I started called scene kids who heart hip-hop okay so i was like a scene kid but i like loved underground hip-hop yeah and so in 2010 i started throwing this show series called hipsters who heart hip-hop and it wasn't um the scene now so like i grew up into this underground rap scene that was i guess now you'd probably call like backpack rap or yeah. whatever yeah, yeah, you know, yeah it was yeah. like lyrical but also it was like weird um and so i also got sober in 2009 and I did a lot of jail time. So, and I've been rapping for a long time. I don't yeah. do it anymore. So, when I was in jail that last time in 2009, I was like, all right, when I get out, I'm not, I'm gonna be sober and I'm gonna really focus on rap. Yeah. And so, but uh, prior to that, I'd been living in Echo Park and I was like really into this hipster scene, hence hipsters who are hip hop. And I had kind of stopped going to rap shows. And so I started doing research to see like, so that scene of hip hop, the way it was, is that you would uh, go to these shows and like you'd hang out out front and like cipher like freestyle. Oh, cool! Or or sometimes at the end of the show, the DJ would play instrumentals and open the mic up and you get on the mic. And so I was looking for like where the cool hip hop shows were where I could like cipher or get on the mic. Yeah. And there wasn't anything cool anymore because this hip hop scene by 2010, like this is like the tail end of that scene. Yeah. And so like there just wasn't anything cool. And so I went to. Um, this spot called Echo Cario where I go to like noise shows and stuff in Echo Park. And I was like, can I throw a rap show here? And they know me because I'd been going to shows there for like, you know, a couple of years. And they're like, yeah, whatever you want to do is cool. And so the idea was to throw uh, this other kind of underground rap show. And then I would have um, a band, like an Echo Park band, play a live improv improvised set at the end. And I'd open the mic for MCs to improvise, to freestyle over the improvised band. And that was going to be my way of like shining and me like networking. Yeah, yeah, If you'll yeah. hear me rap. And so that's how it started. And then I got less into rapping. But um, so before it was very like this genre only. Yeah. And then a year, less than a year into that is when Little B came out. Or it's when uh, I heard Little B. It's when I heard Wonton Soup. It's And then also that's also when Trap Rap started because it's when um, Waka Flocka and Lex Luger's uh, tape came out, Flockavelli, and it's when Juicy J and Lex Luger's Rubber Band Business 1 and 2 came out. And at that point, um, I was, like, so into this, like, underground subculture hip-hop. But but to hear this stuff, I was like, oh, this is fun. And I got Little B immediately. Like, I got that it was kind of satire. Yeah. And I liked that it made so many, like, hip-hop heads mad. Because yeah. they were like, this is bullshit. This isn't rap. And it's like, so I liked being in on the joke i guess because he was kind of one of the first ones to like break the rules of like rap right 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 and it was like kind of trolling yeah and so i liked so i felt like if you were like in on the troll then you felt like you're based and you're part of this community and so i liked it but that didn't work with what i was doing with hipsters who are at hip-hop got it and so i went to the shortstop which is like a bar in echo park yeah. and i um 
because there used to be a uh, rap night there called Wildlife Wednesdays, mm-hmm. and they'd play like uh, throwback Southern rap. But I never heard Gucci Man or Little B or Waka Flocka there. Yeah, and so I went to the shortstop and I was like, "Yo, can I throw a night here?" And they're like, "Yeah, you have every other Thursday." Okay, so I started doing a thing called Hipster Short Hip Hop Present. Swag it out at the shortstop. Yes. And I'd play all this little B music and me and my friends would like do the cooking dance and shit. And um and then one night at that, at that, if people have ever watched interviews with me, they probably know this. But one night at that night, um, I had already been like, I don't want to do hipsters who are hip hop. I didn't want to be pigeonholed to like that. Cause I have, I was having so much more fun doing the little B, you know, dance night or whatever. And so I was telling my homie, I'm like, I think I'm gonna um change it to something where I like have more freedom to do different genres and yeah. different stuff. That's like just fun and parties. And I was like, I think I'm going to call it go ham productions. And my homie was like, Oh hell yeah, dude, we're going to go ham on everything. And I was like, Oh, that's great. And so, and also at that time I was going to warehouse parties and in LA in 2010, 11, the warehouse parties were like all house music. There wasn't like rap warehouse parties. Yeah. It was only house music. And I thought house music is pretty boring. And, um, and so I thought, well, the energy at Shortstop was so cool. And I was like, well, what if I, like, bring that same energy into a warehouse party? So, like, we play, like, you know, Soulja Boy and Little B. Uh, but we also have people perform and do it at warehouses. And, and did it immediately go off? Like, by that time, like, when you put those things together, you had of, already, well, like... the first ones I did weren't at warehouses at the Standard downtown. Okay. And that first one I ever threw, the first time I ever threw, Riff Raff showed up, no Little Debbie showed up. And what so, year is this? 2011. Yeah, damn. Um, but what really made it... Bl- and so, and also I did things where like, it wasn't just rap. I booked like Harmar Superstar, which is this dude that does like, kind of like, sounds like Prince, but he's like a fat white guy. Sick. And as the songs go on, he starts taking off more clothes until he's like almost naked. So I was doing like fun things and I was mixing it with rap, but I was playing like this new trap rap with it. And I was just kind of like fucking around with it. But what really made it blow up is 2012... Um, I found this spot that we used to call the Villa, and it's in Westlake over here in MacArthur Park. And there's like, um, if people are in LA, you've probably been to the Overpass and about the Overpass. They do an after-hours party, but they were doing a party there, which is how I found about the Villa. And then I found the owner, and I was asked if I could do a thing there. And so I did every Wednesday in January, and I called it the Ho House for Ham on Everything, H-O-E. And um, I did it weekly, and it was like, I'd have like cool DJs, and then I'd have performances by like Speaks, Chippy Nonstop, Chill Black Guys, which were like um, Fairfax dudes, uh, uh, Young L from the Pack, and I did stuff like, and I did that. And then the very last one, um, I got Danny Brown to perform. Oh shit! That sounds like the biggest thing I ever did. In 2012, Danny Brown was like huge. Yeah, dude. And um, in that party, I think that it was like free the first hour, and so there started being a line immediately, and so just like build a presidents and but yeah you're right it's gone through so many different genres so it was like i did that and then it became very tumblr where i was doing riffraff and Krayshawn was djing and it was very like kawaii girls would come and it was very tumblr but then also i guess i was pretty early on like trap rap stuff and i ended up doing a lot of that and then um I was super early on SoundCloud stuff. So it was like early shows with Playboy Cardi yeah. and people like that. And then the next generation of SoundCloud, I was super early on shows with um, Smoke Perp and Little Pump. And then when that got like whack in 2016, I started doing like Little Peep and the Goth Boy thing. So yeah, I've always kind of just like, when something, when I lose, when something got too big, I'd go to like, what's the next thing? Right. But okay, so here's my thing with that because 
again, the, just digging in and you've done other interviews and you've talked on this right. and the, the common theme that I find here is like, you are obsessed with music. Like the amount of music that you find and right. listen to and the genres that you come through, like even I, I was listening for one of the episodes of Ham Radio that you had done, you did uh, Lil Aaron on it. And he was talking about like Midwest emo and you knew every artist and yeah. everything. So it's like, it's not a specific genre. You just are in yeah, I'm on just a music. Geek. Yeah, I'm a geek. And like, Where when does I, that come from? I don't know. I'm just super <laughs> geeky. And so when I like something, I try to lock in on it. Like, uh... Yeah, because it's like Midwest emo, jazz, um, and then like subgenres of jazz, like spiritual jazz, or I have a lot of like old folk records or old country records. Yeah. Um, I just like lock in on something and then I do a lot of geeky research on it and then I like want to know everything about it. Well, and that's like, that's why I was so, so excited to sit down and talk with you on this because it's like, I don't think that you could fake what you've done with all these parties because it's like, I don't think it's an accident that you were early on these things. I think that you were just like, cool, here's something special happening in this time. Who's doing it the best? Who's doing it right, unique? Right. And you just, of course you but found But also a lot people. of it is me, um, Twitter's like an ear to the street. Okay. A lot of me just paying attention to that. And then certain people that I trust, like NetArb. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not just all me. You know, like uh, NetArb was super early on Made in Tokyo. Oh, and really? that really worked out. And I was like, oh, this kid knows what he's talking about. And so like when I first booked a little peep even, it was like Ned kept little peep, little peep. And I booked him without listening to him first. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, this kid. And I put him on a lineup with like uh, Thousand Band Fonny and like Larry June. Did not make sense. <laughs> but I saw him perform and I was like, whoa, this kid has something. What year is that? Maybe 2015 or okay, 16, yeah, maybe? Yeah. 2016. So before he dropped the full, before he dropped It was anything. right before Crybaby. Yeah. Because we did that show and he opened, I was like, so you know what's funny is that like Horsehead had been going to the parties for a long time. And so Horsehead used to, when he was in Thrax House. Your, your parties. Like yeah. he would just come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All these kids who were like just like fans. that could, Even Pete was someone that would like come to ham parties. But Horsehead is a little older than them. And so he just was coming to the parties in 2015, 2014. And he was in Thrax House. And he used to wear a shirt that said Gothway Click in old English letters. And I don't think Gothway Click was a thing yet. But he would wear this shirt that he made, I guess. And um, Horsehead DJed in a party, a ham party like in 2015. And back then I was like, let me look more into Horsehead. And I saw what he did. That it was like this emo rap thing. But at the time, ham was like mosh pits and twerking it was like and i was like this definitely wouldn't work for ham like him performing and i kind of like put the emo rap thing aside because horse was very early on it yeah might have been the first wow i mean like i i can't even front like i would know or that i could weigh in on that but i know that he's been Probably in it for the first. a long time and so when i first thought i was like that that wouldn't work but by the time in 2016 when peep did it i was like oh wait this does work mm. and um because i had peep on i used to do ham radio at dash radio Okay. Before it was like a podcast, a video podcast, or just a radio show. Yeah. And I and I and I was so enamored with him from that show that uh, I think he sent me Cry Boy, Cry Baby early, and I was like, the day it came out, I was like, I'm gonna play the whole thing on the radio show. Do you want to come in? Oh and, shit. Um, yeah. And actually, his manager's Chase is me and Romo is the guy I do ham and everything with. Yeah. He's our homie. Yeah. And um, we were like, Yo, Romo specifically, I'll give Romo the credit for this. He texts Chase. He's like, Yo, listen in right now. Uh, you got to hear the shit. And then he was like, I want to manage him. Because he was already managing Antoine. Um, oh. and he was like, I want to manage Peep. Does he have management? And at the time, NetArb was kind of acting as Peep's manager, or like helping Peep. So it was like at the very like early yeah, days of early. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like that's again, like that's the thing that I, I 
feels like an underlying theme with you is just you're so early on these things. Right. And I, I, I don't, think it's dumb luck though. Do you? I don't I know. Like just work out. I don't know. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I have a thing that I think I'm about to go a different direction with Ham with the th- what I think is going to be next. Yeah. Well, okay, wait. So before we talk about that, yeah, yeah. So while we're talking kind of like this era of peep, because there was another piece, Babs from Imonai, Babs Sabo, was on the podcast and she said, I brought something up to her and I was like, yo, you did something really important for culture and for this one moment. Tell me about it. And she quickly was like, that's awesome. I'm so glad it was that. In all fairness, though, that was Adam. That was, and so now I really want to ask you about this and, or just kind of like explain from my side of right, it. Right, right, So 2017, late 2017, so what, like a year later, the call it emo rap, whatever is, I mean, very popping, happening. And emo night has emo night day. And there's a stage. And on my side, I was working with an artist called Family Pet. Yeah, and I, I booked them. I flew them out. Yes, you did. So- to me, like I'm starting to get involved with them. I'm meeting all these kids. I'm like, I, I admittedly was a little late to it, right? But I'm starting to see it. And to me, like I've always felt like I've never played music, but I've always loved music because it represents a community and it's something more than just uh, your typical like high school clubs or whatever. It's like, oh, cool, you're outside of this. You don't quite fit in. Here's music and here's a community that will accept you for anything. And I think that's so fucking important. So. Where I had seen the Warp Tour community kind of go away and it kind of became elitist and it wasn't like to me what a community should right, be. Right, right. I was seeing this develop and I was seeing these kids get on each other's tracks, help each other, connect pieces. Like it wasn't petty, it was everyone growing right, right. together and everyone's friends. And I was obsessed. So I'm starting to work with Family Pet. And then they they tell me, they're like, yeah, this guy, Adam, uh, wants us to come to LA for emo night day. Should we do it? And I'm like, uh, yes, oh my God. And then like the lineup is coming together and there's a lot of these artists, right, on that on that specific stage that you put together. Right. And I witnessed it firsthand where I like I drove over and like met them and a lot of them were meeting in person for the first time. Yeah. That's when I met Shinigami. That's when I met, I mean, all of that crew, a lot of that, yeah. them meeting in person. That was the first time I went to I think Aaron's house. I think that's the first time the boyfriends ever performed. The boyfriends material wasn't even out yet. No, it wasn't. It wasn't and they a performed thing. it for the first time because they were just working on it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them, there's a picture uh, from the night before at Cha Cha Lounge, and it's like all of them. Yeah. And a lot of them's the first time they met, and they're all like best friends now. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I just, I, when I was talking to Babs about it, it's like to me, I think that that ripple effect is so cool because, right. and I want to hear on your side what made well, that happen. Well, it's actually happen. really interesting. So what had happened for me is, so that was 2017. So in 2016, um, a few things happened is that uh, the clout rap thing became a, like a big thing. Cause I was doing, you know, I did early shows with Smoke Perp. Yeah. Early Didn't shows. You book Lil Pump like on his first show or something like that. Yeah. 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 And, and, <laughs> okay. And like if you look, there, there's actually I have a photo from the Smoke Perp show that Lil Pump was there too. And I didn't know who Pump was yet. And he had like no tattoos and it was like a regular kid. But soon I was booking these kids. But then something happened in 2016 was clout rap SoundCloud thing became really big and the kids were getting signed really immediately. Yeah. And um, getting too big for me to book them like quick. Yeah. And then also I didn't like this new like clout glasses, gang, gang, gang. I didn't like those kids. Yeah. And I was like- Because there was a minute where it was fucking awesome. It was right. so cool. It was really cool in the beginning and then it became really corny and I didn't like, I don't want to throw shows for like gang, gang, gang and dumb clout glasses and like, I just didn't think it was cool yeah. or underground. Yeah. And um, and then it was like, 
I was doing the ham radio podcast and they were putting a lot of pressure on me to like book guests that are like, we got to get Matt Ox. We got to get Matt Ox. And it's like, do I have to get Matt Ox? You know, and then I, but I, also that pressure made me feel the pressure towards like ham shows too. Like I need to be the first one in LA to book Matt Ox. And it's like, do I, I don't give a fuck. No offense to Matt Ox, of right. course, but it's like, I'm not a fan of that shit. Yeah. You know? And then, and so I felt like all this pressure of that. And then, um, also in 2016, this tragedy happened in Oakland with a venue called Ghost Ship. It was like a DIY warehouse venue where it got lit on fire and people died. Oh, and fuck. so it like put a damper on the warehouse scene out here even. And I was like, so the warehouse parties were becoming a little difficult because cops were cracking down on it. And then I was like kind of losing passion for doing shows. So it's just like a combination of things yeah, where you're just and like, And so nah. then I think when I heard Peep and I heard this whole scene and all these kids that are connected, I was like, oh my God, this is like the anti of uh, to anti clout. Yes. And I was like, fuck yes. And so I was really excited. And so in 2007, so towards the end, end of 2017, I was plotting on like, I'm changing everything. I'm only doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so when I got asked to do the emo night stage and they gave me a budget, I was like, Oh, this is going to be my intro, me introducing the world to what ham's about to be. Oh, and so it was really shit. important. To me. Okay. So it was really, really important to me. And at that time, Peep had already blown up. And so, yeah. I, and Chase's manager is my buddy, but it was like, it's not going to work to book him. I mean, dude, like, that stage was small. Especially like, on that a was stage a in a little, lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But my idea was, you know, Peep died three weeks before then. But right. my idea was like, he was someone that like, he'd come to the ham parties and would always be down to perform. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to book a lot of his friends and like get him to come. Cause I knew that it was like right when he got off tour. So I knew he'd come for sure. Cause on the original lineup, uh, Coldheart and Horsehead were on it too. Oh. But they dropped out, um, I think for Peep's funeral. Right. I mean, it literally yeah. was three weeks yeah. before. Like Wickaface, who was my headliner, almost dropped out too, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really important to me because to me, that stage was my intro to show people what I'm about to start doing in 2018. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just because on my side of it, it's like that that moment and i mean like obviously those natural friendships happened and like it wasn't just like oh right. today we're friends but like bringing well, people thing, though, together i was paying attention to, like who was talking to each other on twitter wow and i've always been like that with lineups where like um i'm very specific about curation and so like i start with a headliner and then i'm like who do they follow on twitter Whoa. who are they talking to on twitter and then who do they follow everything needs to like make sense because i feel like if the artists are excited to like be together at a show that you're going to feel the synergy and the, the crowd's going to feel it. Dude. And so it's always been about like, like seeing people that talk to each other, maybe don't get to hang out that often is getting them together on a show. That, that is brilliant yeah, right yeah. there. And I feel like that's like, you say that so naturally, like where you're like, well, yeah, do that. And I yeah. don't think people think about that earlier before the podcast started. We're talking about like when you get to the level of working with these big brands, they have budgets for creative directors and they have all these things. I think that that's lost. Yeah. I think that that magic of, just like paying that little attention and what seems natural to you of just, yeah, do that gets lost. Right. They don't look at the curation. They look to at feel, numbers. Yes. They're like, well, this person is this many numbers, this many numbers, this many numbers. And, but it's like, no, you have to like, there's something special that happens with curation when um, there's like this synergy that like works together. There's I mean, like a special thing that happens. You just said it like curation. And that, that is kind of the word and the feeling that I was looking for because that was so important and the the ripple effect of that, it's like I went on to do version three, which started as like kind of like an indie label-ish thing. Right. And then went in to be like a tour. Right. And I booked, you know, it was like Family Pet, Shinigami, 93 Feet of Smoke, uh, Garden. Yeah. Uh, I mean- Convolk. Uh, Convolk, yeah. uh, Savage Gasp, yeah. like all these things. And it was 
accidentally, like I can't take the credit like you did, but it was this accidental where it was like, okay, well, we want to tour. We can't tour. So family pet will do something. And then from there it was like, well, who are we friends with? But I didn't think of it like that. Right, right. But even just like, I wouldn't have known those guys. I wouldn't have, that was such a big piece of my life. And it wouldn't have happened if it weren't for that night. I met so many of those people that uh -huh. night. So like comes back to curation and community and it's cool on my side because to you, you booked a lineup and you've done that hundreds right, of right, times. Right. But that one specific time that I was involved in it, even from that little bit afar, right. was kind of life-changing. But in also a way. Babs um, not wanting to take credit for it when I so here's the thing is that like that's a lineup I would have loved to have done, but on my own, I couldn't have like for me to fly people out. And then throw my own show where I have to make back the money. With Emo and I, they kind of had budget, you know? Yeah. And, like, I didn't have to make anything back. So it all you much, had to do was be the book. curator. Yeah, and that made it so easy. Wow. And so they get credit, too. That, for sure. That's awesome. I love that both of y'all are <laughs> yeah. like, just like, no, no, no. But shouts to them. Shouts yeah. to them. Because I wanted her to do something like that, and I wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. Yeah. I mean, okay. I would have lost money probably. Right. I mean, like, yeah, you would have shown that it was a thing, and the energy would have right. been there. But the money and the logistics to make it happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but so you said something really important there. You wanted to show people that that was the next chapter of him. Right. So continue from that point. What happens? Um, That's late yeah, 2017. I've done, I've done uh, I just kept doing shows, all these, you know, with, uh, I did a lot of Peep shows, or uh, no, he passed. I did a lot of Wicked Face shows, Cold Heart shows, Britain Savage, Dripping So Pretty, uh, all these guys. Although I didn't get into, that next generation is what you've been doing. Is yeah. Con Vulcan, Savage, Gasp, and all them. Yeah. And I didn't get there. Although, um, but something's happening now where, like, I, uh, these kids are actually getting too big too fast now. It's interesting because I actually kind of paused. Like, I right. had a year, like, so 2018, 19, I was all in. Like, we were putting together the tours. I was doing everything I could. And again, maybe you can articulate this better than I can. But for me, I felt like, I don't care at all about money with music. Like right, I right. just like, I get excited to see kids doing cool things and I want to help. I want to be a part right. of it. I could never play music. So I was like, how can I help? Oh, you need a tour? All right, let's figure it out. Oh, you know how to, you need your, you want your music on Spotify playlists. All right, let me figure it out. It was never about like some building some empire. Right, right. And I started to feel like I was getting in the way. I started to feel like, I could help, but I was just another piece. And it was a, I was another email, a call, a text that had to go through me before it could just come out naturally. Right. And I was like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the manager, the this right, or the right, that right. where I'm getting in the way. So I kind of took a backseat and paused and I'm honored to have been a part of any of it. Right. But I don't know what to do. Like I kind of had right. to pause. So it's interesting that you say that. And I wonder. Well, I think something that happens is that um, with Peeves passing and X's passing, labels were like, Oh, this is huge. We need another peep and we need another X. Yeah. So anybody that sounds anything like them, sign, 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 sign. And so they're getting ran through this industry machine, but still looking independent. I don't know, very quickly on. And so me doing an underground party, it's very hard for me to like have to deal with an agent and a manager and this and this. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. exactly. And, and it's like, again, we were kind of talking about this before it started. It's like, it's so magical in the beginning, right? Like, it's right. like everybody's looking out for each other. All you care is the community. You're building this. It makes sense. You do it. And then as soon as it makes sense, as soon as it is proven to be commercially successful or the people show up, people want to get involved. People want to make money on it. And then you're like, damn it. Now you can't right. do it properly. And that's such right. an interesting I mean, the dilemma. labels are crazy with it because they're literally like anybody that sounds like little peep. Yeah. Sign, sign, sign. Like when Pete passed, uh, Wicked would talk about like these labels that 
at him up and he's like, I'm not a peep. Yeah. At all. No. You know? No. And they're taking him like these fancy dinners and Wicca's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, they were so, and it's like, but also these labels don't really give a shit about these kids' career. So it's like, sign, 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 sign. And let's just hope one of them blows up. Yeah. Because if, it's just if they get one little peep. Yeah. And then we're like, oh. And uh, it's shitty. So then, okay. So then <laughs> what, you obviously, you did curate a lot more parties and, and do that. Where, where did that go to? Because I feel like you, I feel like a common theme with you is that like, you'll pivot again, not to chase clout, but just kind of chasing passion and chasing right, right, things right. like that. And I agree with you. It kind of, I don't I don't know if it blew up too fast, but it evolved in a way where it was like, oh, it's, it's changing again. Right. So what, what was your pivot there? Like, are you like, where does that well, so take you So for a minute, so I like the emo rap stuff and I was doing that. And then like the mosh pit rap stuff, you know, it's like punk influence. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, but the last year, um, I don't know. It's like getting too big. I mean, I still like all those. I, I love all those dudes, you know, and I'm working on something that's going to still, uh, I'm working on things with up rocks, a performance show that's going to still really be into that scene. Yeah. But for me personally, for throwing shows, it just seems like, well, also how many like, you know, little load of shows am I going to do? You know what I mean? And, and it's like, and then the newer kids, and even like those dudes, like Wicca and all of them, like now have like agents and big managers, and like it's a little more, di- and they're doing tours instead of like underground shows. So it's a little more difficult now. And, um, but also it's like that's becoming the new, like, I don't know, I saw that TikTok of the young girl, and it's like, um, underground edition, and there's like a line, and she's like, listen to NASCAR Aloe, and then listen, and it's like, if those kind of kids are liking this, like I'm over it. Like I'm yeah. not over it, but it's like I'm ready for like the next underground thing. It's all yeah, like it's so weird, right? Because it's like you're not trying to be the cred person, you're not trying to be too cool for anything, but you yeah. start to see the signs of like who's noticing it, and you're like, damn it, it's not cool. Yeah, anymore. I mean it's just like me, like when I was doing the early, you know, smoke perp stuff for Playboy Cardi stuff, and then I saw like the clout gang gang kids. I'm like, I don't like those kids. Yeah. And so I don't like um I don't like the girl I'm seeing on TikTok that's like 16 years old being edgy listening I to see, NASCAR Allo. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so what I like now is, uh, and I haven't started doing this yet, but it's like my next plan yeah. for this year. I've just been busy with other projects. But um, so Earl Sweatshirt, you know him, right? Yes. So there's this whole new scene that kind of he's, not gatekeeping, but he's like the forefather of where there's these kids, um, Mike, uh, Mavi, Medini, Loja, 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 Loji, Maxo. And it's these kids that are like, and like if you look up their Instagrams, like Earl's like on all their comments, like talk, you know. Yeah, Earl's it's like, like the, a real community. Earl's like the, yes, exactly. And what these kids are doing is, it's coming back to like just hip hop where they're like just rapping over. And it's weird because they're rapping over like loops, but sometimes they, it's like break beats instead of like, like old school hip hop beats. But sometimes they don't even have a, uh, any drums in it. It's just like a soul loop and they're rapping over it. And it's like lyrical, but also very abstract and like weird. Yeah. And um, I like that a lot. And then on the East, so that's like a, a lot of them are West Coast based. Then on the East Coast, you know, Grisilda, which is West Side Gun and, and Benny the Butcher and Conway, they're doing like this New York street rap where again, they're rapping a lot of times over like loops with no, with no bass, just like, uh, just like a soul loop. But they're like rapping some like, like street rap, but it's like bars and like they're really rapping. But underneath them, there's a whole nother scene where it's like this kid, 
uh, Uncle John and El Camino and uh, Estenac and um, Crime Apple. And so I like both of these scenes happening. And it's like everything cycles. Yeah. And so it's like coming back to like what hip hop was 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it's these kids' way of doing it. It doesn't sound like old head rap. Yeah. It's like a new way of doing like abstract lyrical rap. Right. And I'm very interested in it. That's fucking cool. Yeah. And like, again, like, dude, it's just, it's crazy. Like, I don't think, I, you can't force the way that you pay attention to things, right? right? Like, that has to come from somebody right. who just likes totally. music. And that's the thing, too, is like, it's to, a, like, with those new kids, it's to a point where, like, I'm excited about the music. Yeah. Yeah, and I know when I'm excited about it, I mean, I bet you it turns into a thing. And <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to slowly start. So I want to, like, scale down ham, and I want to do shows only, like, in small DIY spaces, late night again. Not like 17, I love 1720, but not like a big thing. I want yeah, to it got to it the down. point where ham shows were yeah. fucking So I want to scale it down very small. And at first I'll still book like ham-like artists that I think have a synergy with these new guys, but I'm slowly going to make it into this like weird abstract hip hop thing. That's freaking cool. But I might mix it with like bands, with like girl, a like girl pusher, stuff that like is kind of also weird. Yeah. So I think there's this like community that like likes hard we like art punk but also like there's a lot of like mexican kids for example yeah that are like into art punk stuff but also into graffiti and also into like this new kind of like abstract hip-hop with like boom bap beats made on like sp12s you know what i mean or like mp mp mpcs like old school hip-hop shit well i do think like one thing that's happening that i freaking love like out of all of this is with the internet and like with with things moving so fast and anyone being able to put me, I mean, you've been able to put music out on your own now for 10 years, a long time. Right. Um, but I feel like we're kind of in this like musical renaissance where people are more open to listening to anything. If it's good, right. and if it's authentic, people will right. listen. And that's sick. And me. I think what I'm like with Ham is that there's already a built-in crowd that I think kind of trusts me. Yeah. So I think they'll come and I think, I think they'll see that it's dope too. I think yeah. they'll like it. And a lot of times it's just about having, yeah, I mean, I think that they'll get it. And it was actually interesting is that the way I started this, new thing I want to do is I start following all of them on the ham account. Yeah. And a lot of those kids message me and they're like, yo, we used to go to ham parties. The fuck? You're yeah. following us? And it's crazy because their lyrics like the dudes that are coming under Earl are like very like conscious rap, but they would go to ham when it was like ignorant. They're like, one of them was like, yo, I went to the Waka Flocka one at the warehouse yo. in South Central. So it's like, even though they're doing like conscious rap, they're kids. Yeah. And they want to party too. So I like, I'm like, and I'm like, whoa, I can't believe you guys know what ham is. But I mean, I guess I, I'm being modest there. Well, Obviously. right. But like, I mean, that to me, like, again, that's why I'm stoked to sit down with you yeah. is because I think that my whole idea with this podcast is I'm so down to talk to artists. I'm so down to talk to whoever, but like, I think that there is something really freaking cool about learning the people that are kind of behind some of the most important pieces of culture totally. and not even to say that you're super behind the scenes because you are known and you have a presence, but I just had a feeling that there would be so much of this where I'm like, dude, what? And like right, 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 right. to see just how much is behind the scenes right. and see like where that comes from is totally. I'm obsessed with that. Totally. It was awesome. Another part of your story that I know from your sidewalk talk and huge shouts to her because I think that her interviews are amazing is early in your days, you talked about getting sober. And that was like, I mean, now you've been sober, you said for a while. Yeah, um, 11 years. Yeah, 11, holy shit. Just in February 5th was 11 years. Bro, congrats, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. But you, I, like you were telling me, or you telling me, you were telling in the, in the interview, I think you said you got DUIs on both your 26th and 27th birthday, or was it? 
I don't remember. I, I was definitely in jail for both those days. Okay, okay. So that and like getting to a point where you kind of had your very, like a very real personal realization of like, this isn't it. And like kind of that turning point. And I think another piece um, that you spoke on there is like, you've done all of this and there's so many, there's so much impact in music, but bigger than music, I think that like being a role model and being able to, to speak on that seems yeah. like it's become a part of your life. Oh, it's been a huge thing. Well, so here's what happened is that I've been sober for 11 years. Yeah. And, um, I'm sober. So I got sober in AA, yeah. but I'm sober in a new program now called SLAW, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. Okay. And I've been going there for three years. And, um, what happened is that even though I was sober in AA, I was still, um, I wasn't emotionally sober because I was still acting out in the sex and love addiction where it's like, uh, I guess the way to explain it is like, I do two things. It's like act out sexually by like sleeping with a lot of girls and then find the one that like doesn't sleep with me immediately and then put all the magical qualities on her and she's the one and I get obsessed. And then it's like, instead of focusing on what's happening inside of me, I get to focus on this, on courting or, you know, and then I finally get them and then I'll do something to fuck it up so that it's just a lot of me like trying to get the validation back. And then yeah. I'm like not being able to pay attention to me because I'm so tied into the game of validation, the pull and tug. And um, that's not very sober. And so three years ago, um, I was in a relationship like that where... Uh, Ugh, it was like just a roller coaster. And I get it, you know, it's all about me not, um, me being able to avoid myself and what's really happening inside. Yeah. Because I get to put all the energy into this thing. Um, and so finally, you know, and it's like, I don't, you know, we don't just break up. I don't just burn the bridge. Like a fucking bomb has to fall on the bridge. Sure, they don't want to talk to me anymore. So that's where it goes to. So I happened with this girl. And then what happens when that happens is that normally I would like start acting out sexually again and start just sleeping with girls to feel better about myself. Right. That wasn't working. That made me feel worse. And then the negative self-talk got really loud. Like I would do things during the day to try to like keep busy and be restless. But at night I'd be laying in that bed and I couldn't sleep. And the self negative self-talk is you're unlovable. Anybody gets to know you. Any woman gets to know you. They're going to see that you're unlovable. They're going to hate you. You're going to be alone forever. You're unlovable. You're unlovable. You're unlovable. And um, I was in a dark place where I remember thinking there's a lyric from Connor Oberst, who I'm obsessed with. I've yeah. already quoted a lyric to you earlier yeah, yeah. before recording. I, I mean, he was so important. Right. With I mean, I have like tattoos of his verse. Anyways, um, he goes, uh, you'll settle for anything that will make your brain slow down or stop. And, I, and when my brain was just so restless with the negative self-talk of you're unlovable, you're unlovable. I was like, this is why I would drink or do drugs is to like shut my fucking brain up. And I know that I'm not going to drink or do drugs. And it's like, how else could I stop my so brain? So it was just something else. Yeah. So well, when you're like, being honest with yourself, yeah, I was you're like, like cool. I wish I could take a pill to shut my fucking brain off. But then I kind of got into suicide idolation because it's like, how else could I stop my brain? Oh, fuck. I could kill myself. You know, fuck, yeah. I don't know that I would have really done it. It's like, you know, like now I have this fantasy of like, what if I just like moved out to a cabin and like, you know, so that's how suicide was. It was like that same kind of fantasy. It was like, what if I just killed myself? Yeah. Um, but that's a dark place to be. Yeah. And then I was watching this show on Netflix called love. Have you seen it? It's a great show. So I'm watching. So I'm relating to the woman character a lot. And then the last episode of the first season, she goes to sex and love addicts anonymous meeting. Oh yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, Oh my God, 
that's what it is. Because I think when her and I broke up and I was having the negative self-talk, I started going back to AA again. And But I would think about her, her as the bottle. Oh, you know? shit. But when I saw Sex and Love Addicts and Anonymous existed, I was like, holy shit, that's where I belong. And um, there I heard a lot about self-love and self-dates. And I started impl- up, uh, applying these per- these things I was hearing about in these meetings. So I started taking myself on these self-dates. It started off with every Sunday... I would, and at first I didn't feel, you know, I had that negative self-talk that I'm unlovable. So I didn't feel worthy of like giving myself self-dates, but hearing people in these rooms, like it works for them. And so first I started every Sunday, I would, um, you know, and I was so codependent that like, if there was a concert I wanted to go to, I used to buy two tickets Yeah, and I would like hope to find a girl to go with. And if I didn't, I just wouldn't go and waste that money. You know, like I was, and like, I couldn't imagine like eating lunch by myself even. So I started, uh, doing these self-date Sundays where I would um, I'd go to the Arclight. I'd see a movie, whatever had the highest Rotten Tomato score. I'd go eat lunch at Veggie Grill by myself. And then I'd go browse records at Amoeba. Oh, yeah, that little strip, yeah. right? On, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started that first. I did that until, and then I've, until I got comfortable with myself. And then slowly that negative self-talk voice, quieter, quieter, quieter. And then I started um, doing a thing where I would take the train here downtown this is during summer three years ago. I'd take it to Santa Monica and I like listen to podcasts or read on the train. And then I would take an Uber to this breakfast burrito spot on Venice. And then I would walk the boardwalk from Venice back to Santa Monica, listening to like a classic record that I knew that I like miss. I knew I would like, you know, and, and I, and then I was like, Oh, I really enjoy this. Like walking along the beach. Maybe I should try to like hike. And so I slowly started doing all these things for myself. And, um, I got self love. And I felt lovable. Yeah. And so how it became me wanting to be a role model is when I first started doing these self-love journeys, I was thinking about Adam 22. And yeah. it's like, you know him? I do. And so he, you know, a similar scene as, as I was. And he would do these vlogs where I feel like it's very much, uh, I mean, no offense to Adam 22 and people that follow No Jumper, but as like kind of promoting this like... Uh, be in the scene and like hang out with strippers and porn stars and like do drugs and this and this. And I was like, so at first I started doing these Instagram vlogs as a joke of like showing me doing like a regular shit. Like I'm about to walk along the beach, y'all. I'm about to have lunch by myself. And then people started commenting and being like, though, this is really helpful. And I was like, Oh "Oh, shit. shit. And then I just started uh, documenting this journey of self love. And it became something, I started something like funny. I was trying to be ironic be, uh, show like the anti to what Adam 22 was showing. Yeah. Um, but then uh, it's really earnest now. And it kind of like worked. Yeah. And I get a lot of people that are like, yo, thank you so much for documenting this and this and this. And it, it's so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I just been, and it makes, and, but also like holds me accountable as well. Dude, two things you said there. And like, there's like a theme or there's like a, a piece that really sticks out to me is one, like the doing those Instagram stories, things like that. I feel like all too often, like you think that the standard of cool is one thing and then everyone says it. It's the biggest cliche, but it's like when you actually just stop and you are yourself, the amount of respect that that gets right. and how refreshing it is right. to people, you get caught, right? Like the the way that the internet moves or the way that culture moves, it's like, oh, you have to be like this. You have to dress like this. You have to say stuff right. like this. You have to like stuff like this because everyone else is doing it. Right. And then when you, st- and it takes a minute when you stop and just do something for yourself. And then people are like, oh wait, that's kind of tight. See, that's and what like, I want to do. I wanted to show like, look, you could be somebody that's like important in the scene and like doing this stuff. 
and your life doesn't have to be drugs and, and porn stars. Nothing against porn stars or drugs. If that's right. your thing, you know? But I was like, your life could be- It doesn't have to be that. You don't have to be, front like it's like, that if it's not. You can not. do normal shit. Yeah. And you can like be vulnerable. I love that. And then the other thing you said, and like, I again, can't front like I've been in it, but I've been around a lot of very close friends and my brother like has gone through like some kind of rehab. And th- you said something that was so crazy to me as, as you were saying it. So cool, you got sober, no drugs and alcohol, but then it was like, the uh, what's the sex 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 and, love, and yeah. sex and love anonymous yeah, yeah it's not anonymous it's S L A A sex and love addicts anonymous addicts okay um but you said something there where it was you were just putting that energy and that wanting to be distracted somewhere else yeah exactly and a, a thing that I've learned that I think you're doing so perfectly is like confronting the actual issue is so right. hard to do right you have something in your head you're telling yourself you're not good enough you don't love yourself you can't be loved all of these thoughts, whatever it is, even with drugs, even with anything, you'll do anything but confront the issue or actually just take that second for yourself to break down why you're feeling that right. or whatever. I mean, and so much respect for finding that and doing that. that and confronting. And I think that that lesson, it doesn't matter right. what your vice is, that is so important. I mean, and you I, said that well. I think as humans, we, um, it's natural to like not want to feel discomfort. Yeah. And so you like want to like avoid it. You want to not deal with shit. You don't want to confront it. You don't want to f- deal with discomfort. But leaning into discomfort and walking through it, it's like to get to the light, you have to walk through the darkness. And it's a hard thing to do. But it's but confronting discomfort and, and living in, in, in discomfort and walking through it, it's a muscle that you have to flex. You have to work it out. So even me even doing things like, so I'm into jazz. And so I started going to see jazz live. And at first I would show up like right when they're about to start. So I have to like sit around awkwardly. But then I was like, but so with jazz, I like to like watch the piano. I like to watch them play. Yeah. So I want to be in the front. Yeah. If I show up right when they're playing, I'm not going to get the seat I want. So it's like, I'm going to show up early and be the first fucking person there. And it's going to be awkward. But even doing something like that, it sends a message to your brain that like, I am worthy of feeling awkward if the payoff is going to be something I enjoy. And so it's just like sending messages of self-esteem to my brain. Dude. And so I do all these actions that, um, these little things that just puts a penny in my self-esteem piggy bank. Yeah. And it starts to add up, right? Like uh, something that really stuck with me on on that same level is like, if you're in a bad spot or if you're trying to fix something, like it's sometimes so discouraging or you say some big grandiose, I'm never going to do this again. And then as soon as you slip, you're more disappointed. But if you build small habits, they stack. Right. And it seems like you've right. done and exactly that. And that's the that. thing like with the self-esteem. And it's like, um, we know, I know, I'll talk about myself, uh, getting the big job, getting the big gig, blowing up with ham, getting the fucking girl that seemed attainable. None of that stuff gave me self-esteem. Yeah. Little things gave me self-esteem. Because it's not job esteem. It's so It's not girlfriend esteem. It's not mom esteem. Yeah self-esteem so it's these little actions that uh i love that dude i fucking love that that's really cool and and like again i love that i i honestly love that you have had the accomplishment and success and what you've built with him because that gives me that gives you more cred to then be yourself and show that it's possible right well something i believe is that the universe I'm going to sound crazy. Let's go. The universe or God, whatever you believe in, is perfect. Make some mistakes. And I feel like the universe made Ham very popular, gave me this large platform, made me influential to people younger than me, 
so that I would discover all this so that I could use a platform to spread a little bit of positivity in the little piece of the world that I have a platform in. The little piece of world that I could influence, I feel like the only reason ham became popular and the only reason I keep getting these like things is so that I could use a platform for, for this positivity. Dude, I mean, that's amazing. And I respect that so much. And that's so cool that that's the person behind it. And I think that you really have done that, right? Because you've spread that message. And also, like, again, coming back to me giving you that credit in 2017, it's like, not only are you spreading this message now, you've also brought communities together by just curating events properly. Right. So there's been so much positivity right. that comes out of something from afar. You could be like, oh yeah, that's some party I don't want to go to, or that's some right. crazy party See, where they must do drugs right. and go See, crazy. And you're like, more no. important about community to me. Yes. Dude. I once heard something that the opposite of depression is connection. Whoa. And it's like, so having these kids connect and it's like, even, and I'm like 10 years, 15 years older than the kids that go to the parties, you know? And, and then, so it's like, I'm not like at home listening to the people that I'm booking. You know, I, my records aren't those records. Yeah. But I grew up in an underground hip hop scene uh, when I was in my late teens and 20s. And so it's like, to me, I think about who I was back then. It's like, I want to curate something for like me back then. Dude. And so it's like, not about me having my communities, about me. It's literally about me being in a position where I could create a community for these artists and for these kids that are into it. Fuck, that's cool. And I, Oh my God. The reason I started this podcast was to me, I became obsessed with like the business side of music, right? Like the, I wasn't an artist. I didn't fit in on that side, but I loved being a part of it. And that's like where I felt I could add value. And the whole idea of this podcast is I think back and I wish that 18 year old me could have heard the stories of people like you and all the people on the show and be like, oh wait, like, okay, it's hard. It's bullshit, but they dealt with that too. And it gets better. And this and this and all these lessons so like, damn, I'm, totally. it makes me so totally. happy. And yeah, that's real awesome. shit, man. It's real shit. So, okay. So my last question then in that line is if anybody listening to this has seen what you've done and loves it and super connects and wants to do something like that, throw their own parties or kind of just like curate in whatever way that they have that vision. I hope this isn't too broad of a question, but like, what would your advice be to somebody in that position? Oh, I don't have advice. So people have hit me up or they like see what it is like, and they have grandiose ideas about it like i'm gonna do this and do it this big and it's like you gotta start small and also um you have to start small and really build something nothing happens overnight like i was telling you like we were talking about earlier that anything um that's like an overnight success success has 10 years of backstory yeah and so you can't expect something to like be big right away and then also um I think there's a lot to do with expectation, expectations and integrity. Because it's like, for me, I never had expectations of this becoming anything it's become. Like, I just was happy at being a DJ night yeah. where I played Little B. I didn't think Little B would ever actually play my party. Yeah, you know? so like, that was I, a full I just, circle moment. So it's like just having, um, not having these big expectations. And then if you're just operating out of integrity, I feel like, we're live. We're living in a culture right now, where especially for like this scene, where it's a lot of like, uh, yo, let's link and build. It's where it's like a lot of um, almost feels transactional, do, transactional, and doing this like shicey shit to like come up, or it's like you feel like uh, if you do, it's like a lot of like, how can I get quick clout, quick, quick cash? Yeah, but it's like if you have integrity, things take a lot longer, but you'll have longevity. And I feel like if you're operating from a place of integrity. And if uh, you're showing up for yourself, that the universe, like I said, the universe is perfect to make some mistakes and um, the universe will lead you. 
what you're supposed to do. Dude. As long as you're coming out of integrity. I fucking love that. Yeah. Even I mean, I'm listening to that right yeah. now and I'm like, fuck, I'm encouraged. Yeah. And like, because I think we all kind of, as much as you can come from a spot of integrity and like do it from that honest, real spot, it's sometimes so insanely discouraging to believe in that and believe right. that you're doing it from there and watch maybe things that you believe aren't that honest just blow up and like and have that's the that thing. The things that aren't hard. honest, they're going to blow up first, they're going to blow up fast, and they're going to crash and fucking burn. Yeah. This doesn't have a longevity. People are attracted to integrity. People are attracted to honesty. Um, I think anything else, and, you know, and also it's like the quicker something blows up, the quicker it falls down. Yeah, even, with, even with relationships, if you look at one where like you have this love affair tornado thing really fast, it's always going to crash just as fast. Yeah, fuck. Every, things like take time to build. And it's like um, an analogy, a good analogy is like if you've been driving like in the mountains and it's really dark out and you know you have your head headlights on, you can only see that like few, you know, feet in front of your headlights. You can't see miles away. Right. You don't need to see miles away. You only need to see a few feet to get to where you're going. You know what I mean? And uh, I think that's an important thing. It's like, don't try to look so far into there. Just like, I don't know. And like me trusting the universe. And I guess I was really lucky too because of the drug addiction and the in and out of jail. I'm not, I didn't go to college. I didn't finish high school. So it's like, I didn't have a plan B. Wow. And thank God, because I had no choice but to trust the universe. They don't have anything else to fall back on. And I think that not having a plan B is pretty special because I think that, um, I think it makes a difference. I think that, because I had no choice but to trust the universe and see where it takes me. And it's like, it's been amazing. The shit I'm doing, like I quit my job at a juice bar in yeah. 2011 to focus on ham. And I thought after that summer, I'd have to work again. It's been 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, nine years. And, and it's um, happened. Yeah, and I'm like living well. Yeah. And it's uh I keep getting these opportunities and it's never opportunities that I've like thought I would get. Yeah. I didn't think that I would work with brands doing other stuff. And it's like even the thing is like if I think about like the future, it's like, what about in two years? What if this starts like I could definitely spiral out. Yeah. But I have to, but I have to keep in mind the analogy about the headlights is that yeah. I don't need to think that far ahead. I just need to pay attention to here and I'll I'll be, look a few feet ahead of me and I'll get to where I need to go. That was so well said. Thanks, and I, man. oh, I needed, I needed to hear that. <laughs> and I, I think that that'll help a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Thank you for doing this. Totally, this is, of course, this of was so, like, I love the feeling when I have a feeling about somebody totally, and totally. I'm like, yeah, like, you know, we don't know each other as well. It's like that, that discomfort thing. Right, right, like, right, I right. don't know. But like you have that feeling and you push past that, like maybe it's awkward. And then a conversation like this happens totally. and I'm inspired out of my fucking That's mind. Awesome, and it's like. Thank you. That's amazing. Cool, man. Thank you. Yes. Cool. Damn. Awesome, man.